This is The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back. As always, the time is flying. We are just after 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and that means it is time for Entertainment Court with Richard Krause, host of the podcast, Last Call with Richard Krause. Order in the Entertainment Court. Let's get judgy. Court is now in session. No one ever has to tell me to get judgy, Richard Kraus. <laughs> I know. I've been listening all afternoon. <laughs> all right. What's our first case for producer Ben and myself? Well, according to the film website, What to Watch, the average length of the top 10 movies in 2022 was two hours and 21 minutes compared to one hour and 50 minutes in 1980. And it is true that three of the four top grossing movies of all time at the global box office, Avengers Endgame, Avatar, The Way of Water, and Titanic, run longer than three hours. But theaters are starting to complain that movies are just getting too long. They want customers to come in, feel comfortable, they don't want it to be an endurance test, and they're thinking about demanding that when you have movies like Napoleon, which is well over three hours, or Killers of the Flower Moon, which clocks in at three and a half hours, that there be mandated intermissions. So my question to you is, should movies feel like an endurance test, or should intermissions make a return? I like movies with intermissions when it feels like there are two stories to tell. The story of Act 1, the story of Act 2. Whenever I go to see a Bollywood movie and there's an intermission, it's like the most epic day at the movies possible. So I'd love to see that coming back to Hollywood movies, but only if there's a story worth telling. Uh, Make a 90-minute movie and I'll go. Well, Alfred Hitchcock once said the length of a film should be directly related to the endurance of the human bladder. And I'm not sure about you, but my bladder wasn't built for movies that last longer than it takes to get a straight answer from a municipal politician. Oh, And I love going to the movies. I have tricks for increasing my endurance for long movies. No water, tea, or coffee before or during. But when you gotta go, you gotta go. So I'm all for intermissions as long as they are mandated by the film directors and not the theaters. Movies used to have breaks, and live theater still mostly has them as a chance to stretch your legs, run to the restroom, and reload on popcorn and Twizzlers. And I'm cool with that as long as it doesn't overly interrupt the flow of the film. Several theaters who created their own breaks uh, for the three and a half hour long Killer of the Flowers Moon reported that the uh, big, they had a bigger turnout than usual. Uh, before word got around that they had to take the breaks out of the movie. So for the sake of the box office and my bladder, I say let's bring back intermissions. And that is my verdict. All right, now we're going to Disney. We sure are. So something momentous is happening on January 1st. Uh, Mickey Mouse will soon belong to you and me with several asterisks, uh, qualifications and caveats. Mickey Mouse, in his earliest form, will be the leader of the band of characters, films and books that will become public domain as the year turns to 2024. Uh, In a moment, many close observers thought might never come at least one version of the quintessential piece of intellectual property and perhaps the most iconic character in American pop culture will be free from Disney's copyright as uh, he appears in his first screen release. That's 1928's uh, short film, Steamboat Willie. So uh, the question that I have for you 
is, should Mickey Mouse belong to all of us, or should he just belong to the company who created him? He's the character who's made for you and me. I love this idea. Make Mickey Mouse part of public domain. Uh, He's part of the public consciousness already. He's one of the most recognizable brands of all time. Yeah, go ahead. Let us have him. Yeah, I disagree. I really do. Like, it feels like we already have him. Right? My kids, like, you know everything about him. I mean, I just, I worry that if it becomes public domain, that Mickey's no longer Mickey. Well, here's my verdict. Disney has fought to keep Mickey out of the public domain for decades, and I get it. He is the company mascot, and when he falls out of copyright in a couple of weeks, people will be able to do what they want with the character whenever they want. That potentially means that anyone with the time, money, or interest could make off-brand movies like Mickey Mouse Does Dallas or horror movies like Mickey Mouse on Haunted Hill. That could and likely will happen, but I don't think that it would do much harm to the Disney brand. I can't imagine last year's Winnie the Pooh horror film Blood and Honey, for instance, caused too much consumer confusion with its creepy pig mask and gallons of fake blood. Copyright law was intended to protect the intellectual property of the creator and their descendants, not but not forever, and not necessarily for mega corporations to profit from for infinity. Disney have had Steamboat Willie and the original Mickey Mouse all to themselves for 95 years, and I think it's time to share, and that is my verdict. Wow, I'm, I'm out on that one. <laughs> all right, Judge Krause, what's your last case for us? Well, Madonna was more than fashionably late to kick off the North American portion of her world tour, and frustrated fans were not happy. Uh, The singer was scheduled to start her Barclays Center show in Brooklyn on Wednesday night at 8.30. It was the first stop of the celebration uh, tour, but as the clock ticked past 10.30 p.m., fans started getting restless in their seats and started ripping Madonna on social media. And uh, there's a bunch of tweets here that I can't read on the radio, but essentially People are saying, you know what, I want a refund right now. So my question to you is, should you be able to get your money back if a show starts hours and hours and hours late? You know, unless the artist actually doesn't make it on stage, no refund. I'm used to going to see shows where bands get on stage at midnight, even later. Uh, as long as they show up, you're, you're getting what you paid for. All right, so I'm going to show my stereotype here, Richard. (laughs) My girlfriends and I went to Madonna, I don't even know how many years ago, here in Toronto. We Mm -hmm. we went to, I think it's the Restaurant 11, you know, right at the Air Canada Centre there. Went there, raced through some appetizers and down the last of our Chardonnay and raced into the, we didn't want to be late because there was no opening act. It was a DJ, Mm -hmm. which we didn't remember and didn't know who it was kind of thing. And we sat and we sat, and I think it was almost 11 when she came on. I had a little kid at home. I was yep. exhausted. And the worst part, they ran out of white wine. Like, what a cliche is that? Yeah, I was going to say, and no Chardonnay for you while you wait. Well, here's my verdict. I don't mind a bit of a wait at a show. It can build expectation and actually make it more exciting when the band finally hits the stage. 
but I'm talking like 10 or 15 minutes, not the two hours that Kanye, who once sang, you should be honored by my lateness, kept an audience waiting at the Meadows, or the three and a half hours the Fugees kept the crowd in limbo on the first night of their reunion tour. And then there's Axl Rose, who once kept an audience waiting for three hours, and when he finally showed up, he told the crowd, if you're bored, you should have saved your money and gone to see the fireworks tonight, which is exactly where he was instead of doing his show. Lauren Hill recently celebrated the 25th anniversary of the miseducation of Lauren Hill by showing up hours late and telling the audience they were, quote, lucky she even showed up to a concert that she agreed to play. I think artists see it as a status symbol. The longer people will wait, the more important you must be. But in fact, I think it shows a deep lack of respect for fans and is disrespectful to the stage crew and the venue staff. And that is my verdict. All right, I can get behind that, Judge Krause. Yeah, not to mention, you know, a severe lack of Chardonnay in the uh, in, in the hours while you sit there waiting. A walking cliche, going to see Madonna with your girlfriends and drinking Chardonnay. <laughs> Judge Krauss, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Always fun. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks. Coming up uh, after the break, Ben Harrison, we are going to talk about tax cuts and wine. Now, how's that for a teaser on a Friday afternoon? That's a good tease. It's a good tease. There's a little, you know, slider, a little appetizer. I like this. A little follow-up from Madonna. (laughs) All right, stay with me. That was Richard Krause and Ben Harrison for the Friday afternoon episode of uh, Entertainment Court. As I said, coming up, I'm going to be joined by an owner of a winery that I am fond of down in Niagara, and he's going to talk to us about uh, wine and taxes. Stay tuned. It's Jeb Hutton in for Rush Munair. You're listening to The Rush on News Talk 1010. You're listening to The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.